0: Good afternoon. I'm Jennifer Stevens. I'm here for another edition of Make the Connection. And today I have the privilege of being with two friends and fundraising experts from Notley. So before we get started, what I'd like to do is just have you guys jump in. Tell me who you are. Tell me what you do at Notley and maybe a tiny little bit about what led you to Notley.
1: Hi, Jennifer. Thanks so much for having us here. My name is Ashlyn Dickey, and I am the vice president of strategic partnerships here at Notley. We also, under Notley, do a lot of programming and workshops uh, throughout the year. We continue those workshops with philanthropic finalists, and it's just it's a huge ecosystem, is it's the best way to cool. put it. And the way they have been fundraising uh, is more at the, the initiative level, and I saw an opportunity to come in and build a, a philanthropic program overall for Notley. So that's where I came into the picture, and I've been there for about four months, and we're starting from the ground up and trying to do more of a Notley overview as opposed to each initiative because each initiative is very powerful on its own. Sure. But there was a, definitely a need to m- create a strategy behind our fundraising. Sure. Absolutely.
2: Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having us. I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm MC Deskins and I am fresh on the block at Notley. Um, I've only been with the team for a short amount of time like Ashlyn. Uh, I'm a director of development on our fundraising and sales team. I think what attracted me is a lot of what Ashlyn has already touched on. Notley is creating an ecosystem. You know, it's not just giving money to a philanthropy, walking away, knowing you did a good deed, it's really from the ground up and allowing Notley to do the due diligence for the community um, so that our community leaders and other supporters can come in and trust that these philanthropies and their innovative ideas are going to change the community and the world for the better. Um, And so I think it provides a really unique and awesome experience to see it come in full circle and not just touch on one thing or another, but help grow philanthropies and individuals and women entrepreneurs and all of the things that we love to support um, really grow to their fullest potential.
1: That's awesome. And I think MC touched on an important piece of it too. We both have development backgrounds, but what Notley is known for is their entrepreneurial background. And so I think one of the main goals too is to marry the two worlds and have the best business practices go over to the nonprofit world, but also respect what does work in the nonprofit world and get the the best of both. And so uh, we, uh, MC and I are the first two to be from the development world. So it's been a great experience for all of us. Yeah.
0: Well, it's a great experience for for y'all, you know, individually and what you're doing with Notley. I think there's also great best practices that the community can learn from outside of it. So, you know, speaking of ecosystem, right, and Mm -hmm. beginning to build an ecosystem, I'd I'd like to have a conversation about how does an organization build an ecosystem of a base of support? How do they begin to recruit, cultivate, and then, of course, maintain, right? Make new friends, but Mm -hmm. keep the old. So how does a
2: nonprofit approach that? What what kind of basic advice do you give? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, your donors... Are the wind beneath your wings. I mean, they're the people that are going to take your really innovative and incredible idea to change the community and help you make it happen. And so I think at the very basis, it's really creating meaningful and genuine relationships with those people and getting them invested in what you're doing. Um, you know, the more you can plug folks in to why you're so passionate about it and be that vehicle for them to connect you know, their passions and their hopes um, and dreams of changing the community through your organization is going to be the best way to start building that leadership group around you that's going to help, you know, be the foundation for the rest of your success.
0: Absolutely. So what advice, Ashlyn, do you have for a nonprofit organization on how to approach the stewardship of a relationship?
1: Uh listen
0: (laughs) (laughs) two ears and one mouth that's what i said yeah (laughs)
1: listen 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 i think that's the best advice i was ever given and um my background my first career i was a psychotherapist for 10 years so i did a lot of listening and so i've just applied those skills into fundraising because that's what it's about too it's understanding the person what their value system is what they care about What is a good experience for them? You know, I always ask donors, have you supported another nonprofit or another cause? What was special about it? What did they do to encourage you to be staying involved and and just trying to be a friend in a lot of ways? It's being a genuine friend and. I can't stress enough how important it is just to listen because I think the biggest mistake a lot of people do is they sit down, they look at their spreadsheet, their budget, and they're like, we need X, Y, and Z, now go out and get it. And that's not the way it works. You go out and listen to them and say, you know what, I have this program that might interest you because I just heard you say that you're really passionate about X. Right. And, And it's making those connections and building the relationship that way and not rushing it. I think that's a big mistake a lot of fundraisers make and you know, there's always a sense of urgency and I understand that. But at the same time, if you have a pipeline that you're that you've built up or a portfolio that you've built up, it's a long term process with everyone and trying to touch those people on a you know, a regular basis and it's the smallest things of sending a note, hey, just wanted to check in and see how you know, Jenny did in her volleyball game. I mean, it doesn't right. even have to be about the organization. It's just showing that you care about that person. And then the next meeting could be, hey, I want to tell you about one of our programs and what we're doing uh, next year. Yep. And, and, and really trying to be strategic in a way where you're not having to fundraise by the week or by the month and being more strategic where you're fundraising for the following fiscal year and thinking in advance, but building the relationship up to that point where the money's already planned out. Is that Uh, if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well and and before we got started, we MC and I were talking about event fundraising and event sponsorship and the role of that within an organization. And what I have seen is the successful organizations events are simply one tactic Absolutely. of engagement but they are by no means the revenue generator mm-hmm. to the bottom mm-hmm. line of an organization right so correct there's an annual plan there's uh, stewardship there's ongoing relationship building there's all these things and then when it comes time to have an event well then those people that are already aware of you and involved with you and know this organization they're probably predisposed to potentially wanting to come to that event. And the event yeah. gives an opportunity for them to maybe host their friends, build new relationships, that sort of thing. But what I see happen a lot of times is when uh, organizations are very event-driven. So mm-hmm. this is our one thing. And, and throughout the rest of the year, we're going to just make sure that next year we have that next great gala. And they forget about the entire year of relationship process.
2: Absolutely, And, and I think, so
1: much weight on that event. And,
2: you know, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that… You know, when it – a lot of folks look at the event as the one catalyst that's going to spark a million people wanting to be interested in what they're doing, and that's just really not how it works. And you're going to waste a lot of time and energy and manpower from internally to put on this really great event, but if you don't have people invested in what you're doing at an organizational level and you don't have those good relationships – then it's just another mark on their calendar. And the next day they wake up and they really don't remember what you did. And you might have captured a couple of people, but it's really not making the greatest impact that you hoped that it would in the beginning.
1: Yeah, I like what MC told me when she started at Notley in her last role. 20% of their time was to events and the other 80% of fundraising was to year-round relationship building. Very smart. And, And it's hard to have that mindset when... You make the event so important and so big that you think, oh, this is my only chance to fundraise. I need to get these big dollars in. But really, if you just would have taken somebody to lunch once a month, yep. you would get that check without even the event. Yeah. That's, That's right. Yeah. Well, and of
0: course now, you know, I love an event, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But So not. do I. Right. So do I. But, but you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. One of the things that I start with with any project, period, every single time we start a project, is I say, How do we know success the day after the event when we wake up? What do we want? our attendees to have remembered about what we did and what is our follow-up strategy? Or mm-hmm. or in most cases for my clients, what's your follow-up strategy, right? So I can come in and kind of turn it on and turn it off as an event. But I say, look, you're the voice. I'm the megaphone. So the megaphone's going to turn off. And then what are you going to do all year long? And how are you going to define success out of that event? I think that's a very important point.
1: Absolutely.
0: So let's talk about the, um, let's talk about some best practices. So what What advice do you give to nonprofit executives or or leaders who are looking to try to think about ways to motivate uh, their team to understand the importance of getting out of the office and building these relationships? What happens when their team turns over? How does the organization maintain those relationships beyond an individual? What kind of uh, advice would you give to executives thinking about those things?
2: Yeah, I think that when you start looking at You know, your organization, who's on your fundraising staff, all the way to who's on marketing or your event planning team, everyone should understand the mission and be completely invested in that mission. Um, You know, it shouldn't be a, I took this great graphic design job because it's just a job. You know, everybody should be buying in at 100%, just like you want your donors to be buying into what you're doing. Um, And so I think when the message is clear and being completely transparent from the top down is going to create the most success internally. um, You can't help when people leave because naturally they're going to. um, You know, sometimes people grow up and out of organizations. And so, really maintaining a well oiled machine when it comes to processes. You know, do you document your donor visits? Can somebody pick up the relationship where it left off? without having to go back to that person and say, oh, do you have kids yet? Yeah, right. You know, your, right. your fundraiser before knew that they had three kids and two of them graduated and has that really nice relationship. Um, so really making sure that you take the time to slow down and document and figure out how you're cultivating those really important relationships um, so that when you do have that turnover, it's really not the end of the world. And that person leaving can make introductions, or you have already met them because the relationship is so solid. And so you can make that introduction to the new person.
1: And yeah. I think there's a lot of strategies, just development practices, best practices, you would call it. And I had someone ask me the other day, like, well, we don't have a database. I'm like, use a Word doc, use an Excel, right? And write, it. And write know, it, do whatever you need to do. <laughs> but And even for me, if you start to build a portfolio that's 10 people, then all of a sudden is 50 people, it's hard to keep up with it all. And it's important for yourself, not just even if somebody steps into your shoes, but for yourself. And you haven't seen someone in seven months that you go back and be like, oh, that's what we talked about. And then it just kind of all clicks in your head. Absolutely. Um, But I think what you were saying is having – Strategies within your team of building out a stewardship plan where everyone is doing these things. We all send a thank you note after we leave a donor meeting. when you put in your contact report, write down the personal things. But the golden rule is nothing you would ever want on the front page of a paper. Yes, you know, so <laughs> yes.
2: that's true. They
1: share a lot of information a lot of times. Um, but when you talk about turnover, too, because it does take years to build those relationships. So, for example, when I just left my last role, I sat down with another development officer and cherry picked the top 50 people that I had close relationships with and went over every single one of those Uh, individual relationships and said this will be really important if you do this for this person And, and so I I did my best to leave behind my own story right you know so to say so somebody else could pick up on it and it's you know but it's going to be the new person's job then to Continue touching those people the exact same way they were not just all of a sudden. Where'd happened to Notley? Did they? I talked to them every month, and now they've disappeared. So making sure that whoever is leading all of this takes over if there's a gap, even you know, and and continuing with those those best practices and strategies too. Yep.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think too when you look at just the baseline of what a donor really means to your organization. You have to look at it like a friendship or, um, you know, making it in that genuine way to where you're really getting to know people and creating a relationship that's long lasting. Because if you're just looking at it from a dollar perspective, um, then the next person that comes in is really not going to be successful. Um, and so I think it's important to kind of have that mindset going in of these are the most important people outside, you know, external to who you're directly supporting in your mission um, that are really going to make or break the difference.
1: And those people will follow you from role to role. I've had friends from my very first job when I was, you know, fresh out of grad school. Yeah,
0: I know. I always say, like, my first home was financed by a banker who used to fund, you know, (laughs) he financed my home. He used to give me money, you know, for different projects. My first car was funded by a, a donor who would give me money to different Different projects. projects. So they become your, they do become your friends and your, and your long-term relationships. And, you know, they may move with you or or not move with you philanthropically, depending on
1: Mm -hmm. where their values or or their
0: goals for themselves are at the time. But, but they'll still maintain a relationship Mm -hmm. with you a lot of times, which is incredibly important, you know, in your own life. Absolutely. Well, and that
2: trust is key, right? I mean, no one's going to, Give you a million dollars just because they love the organization—that that's a once in a a lifetime kind of gift. It's they really trust you that you're going to be a good steward for their dollars, and that you are telling them as a peer, as a friend, as you know, their confidant in some ways, you know, that this is a really great place to support.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think trust is is absolutely critical, and one of the things that um, I'm interested in maybe getting your thoughts on is is that trusting relationship. So we've talked about we've got to listen to them. We've got to understand their motivation. One thing that I have also seen happen is, you know, things happen in people's lives. And I have seen donors who are incredibly invested in an organization that need to either push pause or potentially mm-hmm. switch gears altogether. Mm-hmm. So from an expert perspective, how do, you, how do you adjust as an organization when you have a major funder who says, You know, I'm gonna need to take a break over this. I have three kids going to college. I have three kids going (laughs) to college. I have a sick mother. I have, right? We all have these things happen. And so I have seen over time. When a, a major donor needs to take a step back, how does an organization handle that? How, as a fundraiser, do you handle that? So
1: I mess up all these things. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Is Correct. that the right?
2: That's, <laughs> yes, that, that is it, indeed yeah. the right
0: yeah, one. Is that the right one? <laughs>
1: yes. Uh, yeah. So to me, that's exactly it. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You you can't count on one donor to save your organization and all your initiatives. You have to have a large portfolio and you're nurturing and stewarding multiple relationships. And also, it's like you were saying, you have an event, you have funds coming in that way, you could have an annual fund, you could do a capital campaign, you do um, online giving days. So expanding your portfolio that way, well, not just donors. And because you don't want to count on one thing because you can't always count on one thing. Absolutely. It it does evolve. Being
2: realistic. I mean, are the goals that you're creating too ambitious and too audacious for what your group can actually handle? I think that, you know, sitting down, just because you have one donor who says, I can give you that $500,000 check, doesn't mean that every donor is going to be able to do that. So don't build your entire
1: or that know, they're going to give you 500000 every year. Every year. That's, That's exactly right. That's
2: yeah. key. Do not ask people every year for $500,000. You know, really listen right. to them and make sure that they're ready to give. Um, but I think, you know, with those key donors and with those people that kind of are your leaders, those are some of the best assets that you have. And the people around them are more likely than not going to be you know in the same mindset or have a lot of the same philanthropic interests hopefully so really utilize them if they can't give to you financially that year sit down with them and have a list and ask them to make connections or um, see if they wouldn't mind volunteering their time instead so that they can still be invested in what you're doing so you don't lose them for the long run
0: right well you want money ask for advice you want advice ask for money I mean I think that's a I think that's very smart. Now, a challenge that I see happen a lot is, you know, I think it's easy for the three of us to say these things. But I think when you're a member of a development team and you report to an executive leadership team and that team reports to a board. Absolutely. And the board goes, well, I mean, but last year you were able to raise this much, or last Mm -hmm. year this event was able to do this much. So why can't you
1: do, why can't we budget for you to do this much more? Five-year average. Right. (laughs) Right. It's the golden rule of five-year average. But if you haven't been around five years, two-year average. (laughs) Right. But, But But I think it's important. You will always have an outlier year, and you will always have an outlier donor. Um, And those are great years. I love those. Sure. And sometimes you continue to knock it out of the ballpark. You you and I were talking about that before this, too, that every year you just keep getting bigger and bigger with this one event. And you're like, when's it going to stop? Hopefully never. Right. But if it does... That's normal. And, right. you know, I, so I think it's setting expectations with the Can you, can you, you repeat that, please, so that all my clients yeah, yeah. can hear? <laughs> no, but I think this happens with board members a lot. You know, they, and that's their job, you know, to set these expectations. But also you have to be clear on what is realistic and be able to back that up with data, metrics and data. Show them what you have on, you know, your track record and say, no, this is really more reasonable. This is a reasonable goal for us to reach. Yeah.
0: Can we talk about the role of board members for a second in an organization? Because um, I love board members. uh, Yeah, we all love board members. I am a board member sometimes, and then I love board members sometimes. But um, something that I see happen is I, I definitely agree with you presenting data, making sure they understand Um, I think is important because as a board member, they need to be empowered with the information to understand and make decisions. At the same time, I think a lot of times it's very difficult for board members to necessarily have that full picture. And I think it's hard for staff to not feel maybe intimidated about putting, you know, that honest full picture in front of them. You also have instances where maybe you've got a major corporate sponsor and they say, we're going to give you, you know, this big investment. But we want to see it on the board. And so now you've become beholden to a sponsor in that in that kind of sponsor board role relationship. And that really can put staff in a pickle. Uh, So
1: I'd be curious your thoughts on on some of that. I think for me, it's you don't blur those lines. I think you define your board at the very beginning. It's like an application process. You want to also have a very diverse board with different backgrounds as well. And the way my favorite boards are boards that actually work working boards is what working boards but um as opposed to resume builder boards that is what the way i look at it so i almost look at it as it is a privilege to be on a board here's our application process this is what we're looking for and if you're asking them to give this is how much money we would like you to contribute And this is your role. We're going to expect you to help us reach out to A, B, and C. And so I think if you define it up front, then it's there. But then you have to follow through as a development officer as well and meet with those people and help them. One of the things I always say, board members are very busy. They're volunteering their time and understand that. So write the email for them. So if you're asking them to connect you with somebody, say, I'll do all the work for you if you just push send. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you just make the connection, I'll go meet them, but please, I'll write the email and then I will go meet them. You know, do the work for them. And then also help them be fundraisers. That's so important. It's so uncomfortable for them to do that a lot of times. So be their their partner in in crime or whatever you want to call it. But go with them and help with the dialogue, and it's going to make it a lot easier for them, too, to help them have that peer-to-peer relationship or peer-to-peer fundraising. Peer-to-peer fundraising is one of the most easy ways to bring in money Absolutely. and and then if you can but if you set that expectation up front with the board member then they're going to know that this is going to happen throughout the year but you have to follow through as an organization to support them in the best way possible but i don't think i would ever say okay if you're a corporate sponsor you get a seat on the board i would say well we actually have an application processes and this is how the board works yeah. that's my opinion I, I i keep the the board is sacred
0: yeah, it's a it's a di- it's a difficult situation mm-hmm. and and but but yes but at the end of the day you have the board has a fiduciary duty to govern the organization mm-hmm. to the best that it can for the health of the organization absolutely and that might not always be in the best interest of uh, one sponsor
2: yeah so that's, that's true and I think that that's where you know, when you're starting that board, you're really handpicking people that are truly invested in what you're doing. Um, Like Ashlyn said, you know, your key leaders in the community are gonna be on 10 different boards, most likely. So really lay out those responsibilities and make it clear that this is something that we're gonna hold you to, but then you also have to be sure that your staff can accommodate those requirements as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, the last thing I think you really wanna do is, just put someone on a board to put them on, and then have to worry about how to get people off at some point or transition them over to uh, being where you want them to be.
0: Yeah, I did a whole podcast on that. <laughs> it's, it's a big challenge. It's it a is. big challenge. And, and I think long, long time organization. Well, it's a challenge for anybody. But I, what I see happen is longer organizations—they've been around for a long time. We've always done it this way. You know, there's a, the kind of old school. We've always done it this way thinking, and then there's the new and. Blending all that and transitioning people off, and it's it's very 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 difficult. So you know you want to start as as you plan to continue. When I had children, my grandmother told me start as you plan to continue, and so she said you know if you plan to rock the baby every night, fine, rock <laughs> the baby every night. But don't start rocking that baby if you don't plan to do it every <laughs> night because you're going to get hosed. Mm-hmm. And you know I think the same is is true in an organization. You know, through through nothing but good intention, people are excited. They want to get going. They want you know they've got a base of support coming on, whatever it is, they want to get rolling, but the paperwork and the fine print and the due diligence on bylaws and those things can go a long way to protecting staff and establishing those appropriate relationships, uh, which I think is important. So I want to switch gears for a minute and talk about um, using fundraising events or using events to cultivate donors and um, your thoughts on that, maybe particularly in your background, since you both come from university, which obviously I'm Predisposed to loving um, my my alma mater, but since you both come from you know an organization that does a lot of events, we do a lot of events. I'm curious about um, your thoughts on how events. You know, what's your thought on how can an event be done well that will engage and cultivate potentially new supporters, and um, and what do you do to make sure that you're protecting those in the room who maybe have invested throughout the year, and how do you handle that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that. Really being strategic before the event and understanding what is the purpose, why are you having it, so that you can create a call to action is always a great way to connect directly with donors. Um, getting Make them- to cry. Yeah, exactly. Great <laughs> cry by. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I like that.
2: That's a good slogan. That's my rule. <laughs> but it is, it's true. I mean, you really want there to be one piece of the event that people can actually connect to and go, okay, maybe I will return that email or I will return that phone call. And then the people that have already been invested are excited and proud that they're a part of the organization to begin with. Um, I've seen it in bringing philanthropies directly to engaging with the donors at the event so that they can see it firsthand, one, what their dollars have done already and what their dollars can do. Um, Or also having someone who has been a big you know, sponsor or donor to your organization already come in and talk about why they've given and why it's so important for them. And a lot of times, I mean, you know, we're not all cancer organizations where we're going to have the really heartstring stories, but there's always somebody that has a really awesome, true connection. And having that person
1: be comfortable standing up moves a lot of mountains. It does. And I think understanding what your attendees need they're all gonna be so different. Some are sponsors, some are new to the organization, some are clients of the sponsor. So understanding that some are just there to network, others are there to write a check, others are there to have fun. So trying to touch on all of those different yes. aspects of an event I think is important too and, and creating the time for it. And one thing I've always noticed is that people like to talk to one another And creating the space and time to let that happen because that's important to them. But then also when it's time to showcase your program or your organization, do it in a strategic way. The audience does not want to hear from the executive director, the board, the, you know, three staff members mm, and right. you know it, it, it's just a snoozer I'm sorry but that's what it is you know and being very strategic with showing the impact and getting to the point and having the call to action and then having fun absolutely well, and it doesn't have to be all about spending bukus of money right you know it's it's right the experience
0: right it's an experience and I think I think going back to the conversation on trust I think trust plays an important role in events if a if a supporter knows that they can use that as a chance to host a client or bring friends Absolutely. or show their friends why they care about you, they're trusting you that their friends are going to be entertained, mm-hmm. learn something, and enjoy the event. And so you have a responsibility to cultivate that trust even in the execution of your event. And I think that gets lost a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one thing that Ashlyn and I have talked about that's really successful too is Don't be afraid to call out your team and who your fundraisers are in the room. You know, make them stand up. If it's you as the executive director and you're the main fundraiser, tell people that. Um, But if you've got five or six people on your team going out and being those voices, let people know who they are so that it becomes an easier conduit to conversation and they know exactly why they're calling and they can put a face to the name to make that experience more personal.
1: And before an event, we always as a team look at the the rsvp list and we divide and conquer it's so easy to just go to your one donor that you know so well because it's comfortable but come up with a strategy for your event that you know you're talking to these 10 individuals and each of you are all spreading out sitting at important tables it might be the table where you've met no one but you're going to be at that table talking about what you're doing very smart and just like i said divide and conquer very
0: smart and you can take that up to the board level too back Mm -hmm. to your point of helping the board help you absolutely yeah, And
1: then back to what you're saying, the most important piece of an event is the follow-up. After you've made those, built those relationships, met, had introductions to new people, call them, connect with them because it's fresh and they they felt it. Now go use that that to do whatever. That's right. But but
0: bring them in. <laughs> yeah, keep bring them in. Right?
1: Keep yeah. them in.
2: And I think, too, I mean, it is a fact, and we all know it, that gratitude reciprocates. And if you're not thinking the people that came out to the event that supported you that night, that maybe helped you even bring five friends to that venue, no one is going to feel connected. They're not going to feel like they're making an impact. And it's going to be really hard to retain them. And everyone wants to know that they're doing their part and that you genuinely appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. And thank you notes. I mean, a lot of people are giving money that night And handwritten,
0: handwritten, Handwritten. please, (laughs) please, please handwrite the notes. I know, handwrite the notes or or get someone else to handwrite them Mm -hmm. and quick and quick, yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And quick, so let's talk about um, let's talk about sponsors and what they expect from an organization. Some people do things because they're very passionate about the mission, right? They've got a personal connection, they've really felt you know endeared
1: to this cause or purpose whatever and and it's where they want to be i think this goes back to donor cultivation um because a sponsor shouldn't just be a one-off sponsor in my mind it should be a year-long relationship and if you are meeting with a corporate sponsor in january and your events in december there should be four other activities they've done along the way Um, for example at notley today we put together a volunteer project at community first village Just for fun for one of our sponsors. And it wasn't bringing dollars into Notley necessarily, but it was part of our ecosystem of, you know, connecting and collaborating and helping the community as a whole. But finding those ways to connect to the sponsor in multiple levels or ways and whether it be could you mentor some of these students over here or could you come lecture at one of our workshops and, you know, touching the sponsor – throughout the year. So then when the event comes and they are the title sponsor, they're so tied to the event already and so excited about it. And it just makes it that much better. And so once again, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket just for that event and having to give them this huge ROI at the event, but also figuring out what they need for that event. Do they want their name in lights? Or is it a networking opportunity for them? You know, so... Understanding. Are they trying to entertain clients, like you said? So it's about listening. What do you want from this event? If you're going to sponsor us, what do you need? Because we'll help make it happen. I was telling MC earlier, we used to try to create different sponsorships. And one of the, my favorite ones we did one time, we're like, let's do a valet sponsorship. And then the company left uh, an umbrella with their, their logo In each car, the valet staff put it, you know, and they loved it. They're like, oh, I love it. And you saw those umbrellas all over town after that. And, you know, so just trying to meet their needs and what they would like from it.
0: Yep. And understanding that ROI and where they can meet success. Mm -hmm. What I see also happen a lot, especially on the corporate side, I think more than individual. What I see happen on the corporate side is people say, well, we need this, so we'll go to them. And and it never comes from a place of, I've been researching them. Mm -hmm. I see that they want a chance for employee engagement. We have an employee engagement opportunity. Let's see if, you know, we can fit our mission into their employee engagement, you know, goals. So as an ROI to get them invested with us, they could then meet that goal for themselves. And it's very rare I see people think that way.
2: Absolutely. And I think, too, what people sometimes forget is your corporate sponsors are made up of tons of individuals and a lot of those individuals could already be supporters of your organization and you know most of our donors there are some that don't have jobs and you can look at their companies start there ask them if they have a contact what their company is investing in how they spend their time philanthropically um, and use those people in, in your board like we talked about to kind of connect that back and make it full picture so that it is that ecosystem and You know, once you open the doors, and Ashlyn and I have been working hard to figure out, you know, from corporate strategy, you've got the overall corporation that wants to give, and they have a box to check. Yes, that is one of the things. But there could be a VP that's a woman entrepreneur in the finance department that wants to come lead an educational event, and then wants to go, you know, build a house with her team for community first. And so... I think that there's so many more opportunities if you really invest your time in getting to know the people versus just the corporation. Corporation, okay, I know, GE sponsors, X, Y, Z. Right, right.
0: I saw their logo there, so I'll yeah, just send no. them an email.
1: Absolutely.
2: Right.
1: And that email
0: goes whoop.
1: And, and back <laughs> so to what you can saying, <laughs> we're, Lately, if we have a large corporation, we try to go to each division and meet with each department, and then you have all of those departments behind you. Mm -hmm. And then when you get up to the higher levels, then you already have, you know, a team of 10 saying, we love this organization and we want to support it at that higher level. So that's
0: interesting because you were just talking a minute ago about the importance of if you have turnover within your your own organization Mm -hmm. and how to make sure you're prepared for turnover within your own organization. But that sounds to me like a great best practice on how do you make sure that you can sort of – Bulletproof yourself against turnover from a from a donor
1: organization yeah, perspective. Because it just goes back to the multi-layer system. you know it's yeah, would it would be great just to get a check from a big bank one time, but that's a one-time check. Why not? There, each division usually has a budget even and that's a different sponsorship there. and then you build up to the larger one. and if the one division person you know moves on to another corporation, you have six more. But right. you can still work with and they're going to help you connect to the new person. And, right. you know, so it's all about building relationships across the entire corporation.
0: So let, let's take that same structure and let's wrap up with just one last discussion point, which is let's talk about personal and generational giving. Hmm. So we've got someone that gets involved in an organization. They become passionate about it. Um, we all get older whether we like it or not. So what's what's the process on how do you begin to think about um, legacy giving, generational giving, engaging their kids, their grandkids, you know, that sort of thing? What advice do you have organizations that are thinking about generational giving?
2: Absolutely. I think that one of the key things to remember, especially in the early stages of a donor relationship, is making sure, one, everyone that is a decision maker is in the room. So don't pigeonhole yourself. It makes it a lot easier if you ask the wife if the husband needs to be there, especially if that could potentially be your no down the road. Um, and then try to get the family involved when it's appropriate. Bring the kids to events as they get older. Ask them to come be you know, on an advisory council and see what you're doing um, and talk about how that impact from their family has created immense change for you, because typically when you have those generational givers, they've done something completely transformational for you from the start. And so continuing to, you know, kind of harp on those things that they've done um, to help you grow and make them the next-gen leaders, make them the part of your advisory council that's going to go out. and. Continue to make their family proud and be a part of that organization.
1: And I think another thing that's important that I've done at multiple organizations that I've worked with is creating different levels. So, yes, you know, grandpa might be on the board, but why not create a younger not an organization, not a, a membership society within that's t- attracts the 25 to 35 year olds. It's going to look totally different than the board of directors, but possibly it's more service oriented because that age group is about service and finding ways to get them involved differently. They, they might not be writing the checks, but they could, you know, help you decorate your entire event.
2: Well, and yeah. <laughs> I think, too, one of my favorite stories that I've heard recently is actually from one of our founders, Lisa Graham, that she brought her eight-year-old daughter to our philanthropic event, and she was so excited to be a part of it that she gave $20 of her own hard-earned money to go towards this philanthropy. And so when you can start instilling the values of that family and, then you know, impart, you know, your own wisdom on them of why it's so important and why you're so passionate and bringing them around to be a part of the ecosystem early on and making them feel like family and not just their parents being family, I think then you'll see people are invested in the long run. Yeah.
1: Brett Barnes, who's a fundraising expert here in the community, he was on one of our panels for one of our Notley workshops, and he told a great story about one of his large donors uh, had a grandson who did a lemonade stand and raised, you know, 80 bucks but donated it to his organization. And he said he treated that gift just like it was a $500,000 gift because it went a long way with the grandfather that he made it so special, wrote him a handwritten thank you note, put it on the newsletter, you know, that this happened. And that goes a long way too. acknowledge all efforts, not just the five hundred thousand dollar effort.
0: Absolutely, that's uh. great. That's great advice. That, you know, that's a way nicer way to say it than I say. Be careful of the
2: toes you step on today, because they're going to be connected
1: to. Mm-hmm. All in, else.
2: you know, five dollars might be the biggest gift that somebody gives all year, and then you have somebody who has ten million dollars to give away. Right. And so, making sure that you treat every gift and that relationship, especially, um, is so crucial. Because right. those folks that might give $100 every single year, all of a sudden when they pass away, you have a planned gift at your door. And right. that could be for $500,000 because they've been so happy with that stewardship that you've given them year to year. That's great advice. Thank you both for taking the time.
1: Thank you. And thank, thank you. Thank I this loved is great. it.
0: Thank you.